Lord said this week something about we would discover what it would be like to have Easter in summer. I want you to know that it is not like summer, or I would not be wearing this. It's not that warm yet. Not that far from it, but okay. Easter is my favorite Sunday. I would rather fall to the spring, but I enjoy it in the summer as well. It's my favorite Sunday. It's the favorite Sunday of many of people who follow Jesus. If you're not a Christian, I want you to understand this. If you are not a Christian, you have questions about God's faith in the Bible, this would be uh, at least intriguing, if not interesting to you. Christians celebrate Easter because everything we believe changes on an event. That happened 2,000 years ago on a Sunday morning. If God's death did not take place, everything we say and everything we believe, well, it's false. It's false. There are a lot of belief systems in the world. The world's full of religions. And religions and belief systems, all of them embrace a book. Uh, or a set of books that hang on a, a socket or a speaker, they embrace a certain set of values. They hold all kinds of things. But for Christians, for Christianity, everything hangs not on a teacher, not on a philosophy, not on a set of beliefs, not on a book, but on an event. An actual event in history. The entire faith hinges on the resurrection. It's not the Bible, as important as the Bible is. It's not even Jesus in terms of the person of Jesus. It's what happened to Jesus and through Jesus on a Sunday morning 2,000 years ago. Because Jesus rose from the dead, everything that he said and all the claims he made about himself have been verified and validated. to give people an opportunity on Easter to decide to become followers of Jesus. And just to give you a heads up, that's what I'm going to do at the end of this message. I'm going to give you an opportunity. If you've never decided to become a follower of Jesus, if you've never made a point in time decision to say, I believe in Jesus, he's my Savior, I'm going to follow him. If you've never committed to being a follower of Jesus, I'm going to give you that opportunity to do that in just a few minutes. I was hoping it could take just a few minutes because that we might hold you to it, but it is a few minutes. I like to do this on Easter so that you can remember. If you say yes to Jesus' invitation to follow him today, every year on Easter Sunday, you can celebrate making that decision. You can celebrate your spiritual birthday right now. So I'm going to do that at the end of the service. At the end of the message. So you've been warned, but that so you know what's coming. Yes? Have a good one. Alright. Today's message should be called How Milton Joe Pay Easter. 
positive on the show. I was my working title for most of the most of the last couple of months. It was on the Chicago Easter. I didn't tell you that story of Easter. That story is the background narrative for the primary story. Every story has a backstory. You probably heard the primary story of Easter. We've over outlined it in songs we sang this morning, and you probably heard it before, but just a quick reminder. As the sun came up on Sunday morning, the Sunday after Jesus was crucified on Friday, his mother led a group of women to his tomb to mourn his death and to prepare his body properly for burial. The stone that was in front of the tomb had been rolled away, and the tomb was empty. Later, Jesus appeared to the women, the apostles, 500 people at one time. That's the primary story. On a Sunday morning, Jesus was raised from the dead. Now, the back story of the empty show is very interesting. It's very, very important because thanks to the empty show, Generations of Christians have been able to know definitely, beyond a shadow of a doubt, Jesus died. And so when he came back to life, he really came back to life. He really rose from the dead. But with that mission show, here's what would have happened. You see, the Romans had this uh, policy about people who were crucified. They did not get to have their own great plot. They were thrown on the city trunk. Outside Jerusalem, it's called the Valley of Gehenna. Now, Gehenna is also the word for hell. Because it smelled like it. And it smelled like it. Garbage and trash was constantly burning there. Always burning. Smoke and stench rose from the valley all the time. And when somebody was crucified, they were usually left on the cross for for several days, kind of just pass the air and remind everybody if you mess with worlds, we will mess with you and you will lose. That was the message of crucifixion. That was the whole purpose of doing it. We're going to kill you and everybody's going to learn from your example. And so, days later, they would come, they'd take the corpse off, they'd throw it in a wagon, and take it out to the dump and toss it out there. The family was not able to warn, they weren't able to explain it. Unless they had a lot of money. And they could find somebody who would bribe the guy with the wagon. You know, give me the back. Give me a cup of coffee. Give me a shot. Maybe $50,000. Give me a hundred. So if Jesus had been treated that way, his body would have been taken off the cross, thrown on the top. And if he had walked into Jerusalem, say, three days later on a Sunday morning, like that would have been remarkable, but it's clear. They're always did a bad job of killing him. He didn't really die. He just passed out. They thought he was dead. They threw him in the dump, and now he's in the pack and well, you know, no big deal. The first thing we need to happen is that the mission is 
Because of what they did, people knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that Jesus really was. One more thing that's interesting about this story about these two heroes in our story today, Jesse and Joe, they're your typical heroes. They're not the kind of people you would expect. And for one thing, they didn't have a whole lot of faith in Jesus. And they certainly weren't public about following Jesus. They still were secret disciples, undercover Jesus followers at best. And in fact, they didn't have any more faith than anybody else did. And we just need to be honest about that. Uh, if you're not a Christian, you need to understand this. Nobody expected anything to happen on that first Sunday when we call Easter 2,000 years ago. His mother and the ladies went to the tomb to find the dead body. They were shocked when it was empty, and their first assumption was not that, oh, he's alive. No, their first assumption was somebody stole him. Why would somebody steal his body? What kind of person steals a dead body? That in itself is a really good question. Um, but they were expecting it. The first disciples who were arrived there were Peter and John. They went in, they looked around, and they wow, it's not. Yeah, you're right. The body's not. Nobody anticipated the resurrection. Nobody was looking for it, and nobody was standing outside the tomb on Sunday morning shouting down. Now, nobody's doing it. So here's the story how Nathan shows they do Before Jesus arrived on the scene, there was a group of, uh, of Jewish people, uh, religious leaders, they called Pharisees, who focused on being good and making other people be good, too. They were particularly fond of making other people be good, or at least telling them that they weren't as good as they were. I heard one pastor say once that if you were to ask the Pharisees what they did, you know, what do you do for a living? Oh, I'd be good. That's what I do. Now, I'm so good. If God ever decides to say anything, he will say it to me because I'm really good. Did I tell you I'm good? They don't even understand the Pharisees. Then Jesus comes along and friction starts to develop. Because Jesus comes with a very simple invitation. It's the invitation that is the theme for our church this year. It's two words. Follow me. Not follow my rules. Not even follow my example. Follow me. Two simple words. No matter... What people believe or how they behave, Jesus simply asked people to follow him. And this really frustrated the Pharisees. They complained about it often, over and over. How 
was teaching and preaching that life and God's kingdom and his family is about relationships and not rules. He said that God is our Father. That's a relationship. Father and child relationship. Jesus said that he was the good shepherd. That's just a, a relationship between a farmer and his flock. Animal farmer, animal relationship. But actually it goes a little deeper than that. Because, you know, we have farmers they raise animals, and that's not quite the same thing. You, you need to understand shepherds and sheep, as Jesus said. Well, it's more like you and your pet. How many of you have a cat or a dog? How many of you consider them part of the family? Okay. Now you understand shepherds and sheep. No matter how large the herd of sheep was, they were part of his family. And they all had a name. And they all recognized it. And Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd and you're my sheep. People understood that he was part of his family. Jesus came preaching and teaching about relationships. And this really irritated the, the Pharisees because, you know, they believed they were closer to God than anyone else. And they expected God to talk to them. And who is this guy? He claims to be from God, but he spends more time talking to them. And not to us. God should talk to us first, but we have a very long list of rules that we keep them. And we ask everybody else to do it. So we tell everybody else to do it. But the thing is, Jesus said God's first value is relationships over rules. So he did invite anyone and everyone to follow him, no matter what they believe about him or how they behave. Being a sinner does not disqualify you from being a follower of Jesus. It isn't back a prerequisite. If your actions go together, you are not a sinner. You don't need Jesus. Unbelievers that should disqualify you. I've already pointed out that his followers and even his own mother were standing outside the tomb on Sunday morning waiting for him to come back. They didn't believe him. You don't have to have all of your answers and questions answered. You don't have to have all your doubts satisfied to follow Jesus. So when Jesus talking about inviting people to follow him into a relationship and irritating the Pharisees because obeying a list of rules means harming control. It's almost like God owes you. 
Maybe we don't just let it go to introductions. I don't get to do it, but I come here to ask you some questions. And before I get to the ask you questions, he just starts right in and starts answering what he says. And if you do this, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God until they are born again. There's the answer to the serious Pharisee question. The question will inevitably be our question. It's a simple question. How can I know that I know that I know for sure that I am part of God's kingdom family? How can I know for sure that I'm close to God instead of far from Him? I don't understand you enough to be surprised. 
don't understand. And Jesus knows why. He says, the wind blows where it will. Blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. And so it is with everyone born in the spirit. For clarification, he is now more confused than he was when he arrived. And so Jesus says to him, Nicodemus, how can you speak to me about it? You're, you're a teacher of Israel, a leader of Israel, and you don't understand this. How can you be where you are and not understand what I say? And he says to him, I tell you, what I speak is what I know. You don't even understand this. This is earthly stuff. What am I going to do? What are you going to do if I start talking to you about heavenly stuff? How will you believe when I speak about heavenly things? And he says, No one has ever gone into heaven except the one. Jesus says this. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. I'm pretty sure Nicodemus thought he was starting to crack with Jesus. Yeah. No one's ever gone into heaven and come back to tell us how to get there. That's the issue. How do we know we're right with God and we're going in the right direction? But then comes that other the next part. But there's the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Jesus is making a claim. He claims that he was king. The Son of Man was one of the words, the terms used to prophesy the coming of the Messiah, the King, the Anointed One, has been promised by all the Old Testament Jewish prophets. And then Jesus says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, and I think you need to remember that story. I'll remind you of it in a moment. And then he says, just as Moses lifted up the snake, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Now, Dick, you know the story of Moses and the snake in Israel? I think you can see really condensed version. Okay? Hold on. People of Israel left Egypt, got to God at Mount Sinai, got the Ten Commandments, were wandering around, started grumbling and complaining, and all next day they knew their camp was infested with snakes, poisonous snakes, for which there was no cure. They said, you, you guys, you thought you had something to complain about before. But instead of complaining, they wised up and started praying. Please, forgive us. Messiah, we complain, we were wrong. Help us. God says, put a, make a bronze serpent, put it up on a pole. If anyone's bitten by a snake, all they'll do is look at that snake and they will live. God says the snake was lifted up and they became aware. Hold on to that thought. I'm sure Nicodemus didn't get it. He understood the story of the snake, but he doesn't understand this thing about the Messiah being lifted up like. Jesus wanted to know us because everyone who believes will have eternal life with him. Eternal life. That's that relationship with Jesus the Holy of God where we know that we know that we know that we know for sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are right with him. We're part of his kingdom family. That's what Nicodemus was looking for. Yeah. Yeah. But how do we get it? Is by behaving right. No. 
no, you don't want to. Then somebody in the crowd said something that would have been absolutely blasphemous. You have no king but Jesus. What had just happened is that these people had put Jesus as a teacher in power and always had to put Jesus in power. And so Jesus got the world took care of it. And so Jesus was lifted up on a cross. And maybe if Nicodemus was watching from the back, the edge of the cross, maybe as he saw Jesus. Thank you. 
even give it its time for us to make most of what the disciple of Jesus appreciated is how he Looking for Richard, and he takes the body away, and he maybe Jesus goes with him. Yes, goes with him to the man who visited Jesus earlier, and together Nicodemus brings this mixture of myrrh and aloe spices, about seventy-five pounds of spices, and they wrap Jesus in linen cloth and seventy-five. Survive crucifixion, and you did survive having a pierce in your heart. You would not survive being wrapped in a full body cast that's not And you can be fairly sure if you're watching the body and grabbing it, they kept looking. Everybody knew where it was. And the ladies came back on Sunday morning. They knew where Jesus was. Or 
is no longer about what we do for Him. It's all about what He did for us. Because of what He's done for us, there's an internal, a born-again desire to follow the Savior who gave His life for us. And if I think, well, I don't see you, there's, there's something inside of you that has risen up and says, you know, I believe it. I get it. I see it. I understand. This is what I believe. Jesus died for me. And He lived for me. He's done for me what I could never do for myself. If you are believing that, if you're sensing that, that is God's Holy Spirit drawing you to Jesus. And if you're ready to make that decision this morning, I want to lead you in a prayer. Now, I want to make it very clear to you, this prayer does not save you. These words do not make you a Christian. These words, this prayer, does not make you a follower of Jesus. It does not make you a child of God. It's simply an expression of your believing, of your faith in Jesus and what He's done for you. Jesus saved you. But like all relationships, you've got to start somewhere. That's what this prayer is about. If you've never said yes to Jesus, if you're not sure you can do that, or you'd like to celebrate this Easter Sunday by saying yes to Him, I would love for you to pray with me. If you can sense the words, you can say them silently. Uh, you can pray them in your, in your heart. You can pray them out loud. But this can be the day that you can look back on from now on and say, that was the day I started following Jesus Christ. I put my faith in Him. I put my trust in what I was doing for what Jesus Christ did. And I ask everyone to bow your head. Hear each other cry to Jesus. Pray with us. If you want to, pray, pray this prayer. Heavenly Father, I believe you are my Father. I believe Jesus was your Son. I believe. Now I place my trust in what He did for me. Not trusting my behavior. Not trusting my promises. Not trusting my good intentions. Not trusting my church attendance. I'm not even trusting this prayer. I'm placing my faith in Jesus because He died on the cross. Receive me into your kingdom. Receive me into your family. 